seconds there. Stand by all cameras. Stand by videotape. Stand by slow mo. Stand by roll videotape in five. And roll tape. Four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Breakfast Table Podcast Super Bowl edition. We're going to talk about the big game, talk about some props, also do a postmortem on the championship teams that uh, were eliminated in week 20, and um, some fun stuff for you with some props and uh, a a little bit, obviously, of the news of the day with um, the big quarterback uh, moves in Detroit and Los Angeles. I am Mike Sa- Michael Salfino. I write for uh, Fantasy for The Athletic. I also do a weekly wrap-up of NFL action on 538 via chat. We're going to be live blogging the Super Bowl at 538 on Sunday if you want to join us there. And I can be found at Twitter at Michael Salfino. And I'm Scott Pianowski, proud fantasy scribe for Yahoo Sports. And I'm also on Twitter, Scott underscore Pianowski. Are you doing anything for the game, or people should just find you on Twitter for the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'll be I'll be tweeting. Um, I, I will mention Yahoo has introduced a a single game DFS contest where you pick one player who's your superstar. He counts one and a half times, and then you pick four flex players, and uh, which is interesting with these two teams because it's not. I don't, I don't think completely clear which back will will be featured yeah. on either team. There are multiple players who could be involved you know, we, we know obviously there are superstars on, on both of these teams but and um you can make a case for you know is this going to be a Watkins game a Harbin game which Tampa Bay receiver do you like we'll talk about you know props and stuff like that when we break the game down but I think there could have been times where you could have a single DFS game where it's like oh well the, the usage trees are so narrow everybody's going to play the same players I don't exactly. think that's the case this week I think there's going to be enough differentiation to really make it a fun game so uh, go over and play that at Yahoo yeah that's a, that's a great idea I'm going to do that um, uh, and also I should mention I'm involved with uh, Bet Prep which is um, uh, no charge uh, and great historical um forecasting betting data for both player props and also for uh, games for all of the major sports and we have a podcast that i do with brad feinberg he's a, a professional gambler and he's affiliated also with nbc sports and that podcast is called given props that's i n apostrophe <laughs> so um i kind of like the name uh it's corny but i like it uh, so we'll be talking about uh, props uh, extensively there, but we're also going to talk about them a little bit here as well. So um, why don't we just get into, first of all, why don't we just get into the teams that were eliminated? Um, I guess one surprising one, not so surprising. So what's your take on the, and it seems like the whole Aaron Rodgers thing has sort of calmed down a little bit, but I don't know. Do you do you expect anything cataclysmic to arise from that Super Bowl uh uh, being thwarted in their Super Bowl run uh, and upset uh, in Green Bay. They're such a strange team. Ro- Rodgers, I always feel like Rodgers is invested in Green Bay and wants to be in Green Bay, like you know, 95%, but I always feel like this is 5% of him that's pissed off. Don't you feel he's like that way in everything in his life, though? Like, I don't feel like Rodgers could ever be 100% committed to anything. 
I bet there's probably people in Rogers's circle who every once in a while probably check in with them like, hey, we, we still good? Yeah. I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, you, you got a new cell phone. I don't have the number. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, famously, was it Martellus Bennett, I think, or was it Finley? One of the tight ends said he went a whole season without having a cell phone number. You know, no way to get in touch with this quarterback. You know, the Packers... It's easy to say this now because they they lost and they, they played a mediocre game. I didn't think Tampa Bay was great by any means either, no. but they were good. They were good enough. It was but more. Look, it was more that, Green Bay back. lost the game. Wouldn't you agree, though? What's that? It was more Green Bay lost that game than Tampa Bay won it. I thought. I would lean that way. I I, I don't want to slam the Tampa Bay um, side of things. I think their defense is playing really well. I think Brady played well enough. One of the picks was a third down, unblocked rusher, just throw, get rid of the thing, and if it's a punt, it's a punt. I, I yeah. don't really view that as an interception. You'll give your receiver a chance to make a play downfield. I think it was Evans on that play. But looking back now, and, and again, this is just this is football. They play the game, and then it's like, oh, yeah, why didn't you see this, this, and this? Looking back now, it's like, well, who did Green Bay beat? They were kind of a soft number one seed. They played a Rams team perfectly at the right time. They just played that physical game against Seattle. They they weren't sure. And, and in retrospect, a Rams team that had already moved on from its quarterback checked out. They yeah. already checked out on golf. Although golf did play actually pretty well. I thought I thought the Rams would lose that game at Green Bay because of golf, and it certainly wasn't what happened. Golf no, actually played pretty no, well. It was more not having Donald. Yeah, Donald had about as non-impactful a game as he's ever going to have, but. Green Bay, you know, it's funny. There's been this like civil war on Twitter all year about and Packers fan. You know, the Packers fan base has gotten really sensitive. If you criticize Green Bay for yeah. what they did in the draft, which we, we've talked about ad nauseum, Twitter's talked about ad nauseum, NFL writers have talked about ad nauseum. But I'll one more time. They drafted a project quarterback in round one. They drafted a running back who was going to be their third string guy in round two. Maybe Dylan will end up being a good player. Who knows? Maybe Jordan Love will too. But it's hard in a day and age. Now the Packer fans are like, "Well, wait a minute. We we drafted Rodgers. We he didn't play right away. You know, we got our we had Favre. He was great. And then the we game was different then too. The game is different now. Where." If you look at, and I know part of it is just the guys are super talented, but look at what the rookie receivers have done recently, where the college game and the pro game have more, they're getting closer and closer together. They're almost interchangeable now. And it's not a big ask for a first or second round receiver to be impactful right away. And they could have drafted somebody like T. Higgins in this offense. Great, great. You can't just assume they would have drafted the right guy. You know, there are second round receivers who don't pop. But. Think of what this offense could have done maybe with one more skilled player downfield. You know, Lazard's okay. MVS is okay. Are they really Should they really be the second-best player in your passing game? I don't think so. I, I think this offense still needed that receiver. There was a class they could have gotten somebody. They didn't take one. He completed and, his first pass to a first-round draft pick in his career. Did you know that? In I, the, know. I didn't know that. And you, know great the, stat. you know who the player was? This was, I think, in, in, in the championship game. I have no idea. Tavon Austin. He was like the, the birth of that Pianowski rule where it's like, you know, if you're a top 10 pick, I want you to identify yourself without me even having to search who you are. He right. never looked like a And part of, of that is being a prototype. And you're no, nowhere near with Austin. It's like, are you kidding me with this guy? 
uh, our, our mutual friend Davis Maddock posted some Jalen Waddle tape. Um, the Alabama receiver. He picked a really good highlight, by the way, because I fell in love almost instantly with that. Well, ninety seconds of highlights, and Waddle scores what I, what I like to call this play really goes for a touchdown. Touchdown, touchdowns where he catches the ball in the middle of the field, and there's like five defenders in the screen. It's he's on the thirty-five yard line. You're like, this play is really a touchdown, and then he just turns on this. Tur- he's Wesley like, Walker used to do game. that all the time, like just catch those crossers and beat everybody in a way that seemed impossible from a geometry standpoint to the end zone. Who used to do that? Wesley Walker. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's, you know how I feel about Walker. The guy was legally blind in one eye and he's like a borderline hall of famer. That waddle tape was hard to unsee, man. He looked really, really good. Uh, and also it, it just raises, I don't know how. Exactly. I know, I know what you're going to say. Here, but I don't know how you can, evaluate Tua where it's like he had every possible advantage at Alabama where his skill talent was I mean they had three Heisman Trophy finalists last year I mean one of them was Mac Jones the quarterback and Waddle wasn't one of them because he was hurt you know it kept his stats down that that might be I don't know people point to the gold standard of that Miami team in the early 2000s like 2003 which had a ridiculous pipeline of talent on both sides of the ball they probably had more defensive talent than this Alabama team, although Patrick Sertan, is, I think, is going to be a star. But this might have been the best offense we've ever seen in college history, this Alabama offense. And it makes it evaluating Tua extremely difficult to do. Anyway, to, to back to the Packers. I, th- I think they screwed up. I think this business model of taking players who aren't going to help you right away with early draft picks, I think it's just really short-sighted. I think, I think it's dumb. Yeah, and they have the most... Uh, here's the thing that people in the industry know, like, and I never really write for clicks or, but you obviously want your stories to be engaged. And if you write a Packer story, you are going to get heavy engagement. They -hmm. are the most parochial fan base in the NFL. They make the Boston fan base in general seem like objective. I mean, it is crazy how into the Packers, the Packer fan base is. Right. No, they may have they may have the most emotional engagement of any team I can think of. And it's, it's not like I mean, for example, if you went to Yankee fans, you know, I'm sure there's other teams and other sports that they're super passionate about, too. There's probably people who are Packers fans where it's like you talk to somebody, it's like you're a sports fan. Like, well, I'm a Packers fan. And like, that's it. Yeah. Don't care about the Brewers or right. Wisconsin or, or, you know. Marquette, they just the Packers. They live and die with the Packers. Their their um, screensaver is you know Lambeau Field or you know it's Vince Lombardi or it's it's Brett Favre or somebody who you could literally Lombardi. like buy the team too. You know as oh, like yeah. Christmas yeah. presents. Yeah. You know this the meaningless shares in the Packers. And you know I I don't have a problem with that. I mean in the sense in the general sense of you know the the Buffalo fan base has gotten a lot of public juice. You know the whole Bills Mafia thing and you know all the stuff they do with the tailgating and. And what impresses me about the Buffalo fan base, and we'll talk about the Bills in a second, is that they actually, they're a team, a fan base impresses me if they still care and engage and pass, passionately put themselves behind a team that isn't any good. There are several bu- Buffalo teams that were like 6-10 and 10 or 7-9 and nine or 5-11, and 11, and the Bills fans were still invested and hopeful. Yeah, that's fair. That. You know, so they're, they're certainly not front runners. I mean, they're, you know, they're engaged. It's a little different in Buffalo, too, because there's nothing else. They don't have... 
it's not like they they have just other sports teams, right? That they can be yeah, kind of like Green Bay too. I mean, it's not like the Milwaukee True. teams aren't really necessarily yeah, Green yeah. Bay. Right? I mean, it's a, you know, one way in is only a handful of hotels and all that. You know, some teams stay like forty minutes away from the stadium. I think when they play there, but you know, I just wish and look, there's some actually really good media people doing. You know, Aaron Nagler does work on the Packers, and he's really good and he's certainly objective, but. It's frustrating to me that anytime I criticize or even question anything with the Packers, I just get inundated with people who are jumping up and down, insisting what an idiot I am. And then I, I go to their pages, and again, it's, it's Packer wallpaper. You know? Yeah, and the thing is, when, when you're proven right, they don't say anything. Like, I took so much shit for saying that the Rams, when I thought, you know, and, and I was wrong, but I did think, I think the Donald thing was a huge thing, but whatever. Basically, the the... The Bucks did to the Packers what I thought the Rams were going to do, almost like exactly. So um, I took so much shit in the aftermath of that tout being wrong, right? But then when the Packers lose, those guys just disappear. They're it's gone. Funny. It's funny how they go into the witness protection program. And look, I don't need – it's not like I need anybody's validation or anything, but it is funny how that's the sound of it's, – it's, they used to talk about – visiting teams in sports you know you want to hear the silence of the crowd i guess what you get you know when you're when you're right against the parochial fan base your reward is the silence but by the way i've shorted a ton of packer stock so i don't really see how i could get hurt by this (laughs) that would be funny like why doesn't somebody short the packer stock you could couldn't you I, I guess you could it's like it's like i know less about investing than just about anybody right right um so as far what do you expect? Let's just assume that Rodgers is is um, back. I thought that the only really possible option would have been going to the Rams, and they obviously uh, have their quarterback now. Um, and then you know you have the Bills as well. I you know to be honest with you, I really still don't believe in Josh Allen. Um, I thought you know all of his faults came into sharp relief when the chips were on the table against the Chiefs. And maybe that's unfair, but he had a bad game. And, you know, it's going to be hard for them to get to a Super Bowl with with Allen, I think, um, once he starts to suffer some of the physical effects of the running that he does. And maybe once that part of his game is de-emphasized a little bit and he needs to operate more um, you know, strictly as a passer, but he, he did, I think, prove that he's at least capable in that regard, but I don't know if he's Super Bowl caliber. So I, I would really, I would be shorting the Super Bowl prospects of the Bills going forward. Where, where do you stand on that? Allen's a tough call because I, look, I'll, I'll take the loss on Allen. I thought he was just going to be I mean, it sounds crazy to say this, but I, I thought he was like uh, the the best version of Jameis Winston, where he would make plenty of plays for you to win, but he'd keep the other team in the game. Every yeah. once in a while, he'd just be like, "What are you doing? You can't make that throw. Why are you trying to run through those three guys?" You know, just, I thought there'd always be a chaotic nature to his game, and I wasn't sure you could coach it out of him. This year, he was kind of if, if they had if the MVP voting was structured the way it should be, where you picked like three or five guys, he, he would have finished like third or fourth in the MVP voting. I mean, he had that yeah. kind of season. Yeah, but for sure. But I can't, 
you have to be careful with sports where there's always this assumption that things are going to stay in a linear pattern. You know, Josh Allen came into the league, played at a certain level, got a, maybe got a little bit better, and then this year got a lot better. And so people want to think of it like a plane taking off. Okay, well, then next year he'll get a little bit better than that, or he'll maintain this. We'll be at a cruising altitude. I think of him more not, – not, their styles are different, at least enough different that I don't want to like say they're the same player – but I think of him more in like a Lamar Jackson sense in that yes. Allen just had an unbelievable season. But you could tell me next year by like a good passing metric that he'd be like the 11th best quarterback, and I'd believe that too. Yeah, or even the good. 21st best. Even, even the 21st best quarterback, I'd believe that. Well, that, that would speak more to the depth of the position. I, I, I probably like Allen a little bit more than you do. But all he's really sold me on is the fact that he's he's an answer for them. You know, they're, they're not going to have a quarterback controversy. He's going to be their their guy and they should feel good about their offense and that's the way you build that's why the Rams are such a hard team to figure out because when a team is is around all about its defense or primarily about its defense you just the window's a lot shorter and the variance is a lot higher the idea is to be great on offense every year because that stuff just is more continuous and in part mostly because of the quarterback but it's because of other things too I think Buffalo is a good team I mean right now I'm looking at Super Bowl odds for next year and the, and the chiefs are runaway favorites. And then there's just a big glut of teams, the bills, Packers, Buccaneers, Rams, Niners, and Ravens are all have almost the same odds between 1100 and 1400. And then it starts going. What down are the, the Niners odds? Uh, are plus 1300. Oh, that's yeah, a that's... man. That's a lot for a team that had a losing record. Didn't make the playoffs. I know they had a horrible injury. I, I think people are just expecting cousins to go there. If he doesn't, but you could tell by the fact that he he's even sort of seemingly on the market that um, my favorite prop of the Vikings to be the Super Bowl team in the in the uh, NFC next year. And by the way, the early odds the the favorite in the AFC has gotten to the Super Bowl five straight years now. So you almost have to just like put the Chiefs in uh, based on these trends. But I really would like the I w- would really like the Vikings because they were fourth in yards, fourth. Like for the Vikings next year to lead the um, NFC at least in points, to me is not a stretch whatsoever. If they just play the right way, and Cousins has had two consecutive years of a YPA over eight, that's something only eight other quarterbacks in history have had. And they're all like Hall of Famers. You know, you know, Cousins, to me... I'm back and forth on Cousins. I think Cousins... He's good. He's Cous- good, but he's one of those guys that... He's too programmed. That is part... We've talked about that. That's part of it. That, that's... It's, man, you look at his game last year, just multiple touchdowns in almost every week. He had a, he had a good game almost every week, but... I feel like he's one of those. I don't. I don't know if I should say Scott Rowland because I see the case for Rowland. I feel like he's one of those Hall of Fame candidates in baseball, where your first thought is, "Oh, he's not a Hall of Famer," and then people start saying, "Well, you know, you know how Jim many Edmonds. different guys have made these five plateaus, or you know how many different guys yeah. have, have excelled in this stat," and and you see him comped with different people who are all Hall of Famers, then you start thinking, "All right, I guess you have to vote for Tim Raines, or I guess you have to vote for Scott Rowland." Jim Edmonds is a guy like that. Jim Edmonds is definitely a guy like that. Um, oh, 
I'll give, you, I'll, give you, I'll give you perhaps I think the greatest example in baseball. A guy who never felt like a Hall of Famer, but he's like a spreadsheet Hall of Famer is Bobby Abreu. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's kind of... Well, I think that if he was with the right coach like Shanahan, and don't tell me that he, Shanahan already coached Cousins. Cousins was, you know, started six games that year and was terrible. It was like basically his first pass. And he wasn't even this... He, he was... He was somebody they had to turn to. Um, but I think Shanahan could, if if that trade w- were to happen, I would really like the Niners because I think Shanahan could coach uh, some of the um, fear that Cousins has in his game. In other words, he just won't let it rip. If he let it rip and let his ability to find those tight windows express itself fully he would be so much better and have so many more wins. Because I haven't been following the story. I, you think this really legs to the idea of Cousins getting moved? I do. And I think that the Vikings are dumb enough and Zimmer's dumb enough to just take Garoppolo back in like a draft pick. Man, Jimmy Garoppolo for a solid two years was probably the most overrated player in football. Would you do that? Like, say, your first-round pick, which is a pretty high pick. I think it's like 12th overall. Would you just, just yes or no, this offer's on the table right now. You have five seconds to decide. Your 12th overall pick and Jimmy Garoppolo for Kirk Cousins. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And I think because, the Vikings would do because that. Because having... Having quarter having a quarterback you're comfortable with, who you think you could go to a Super Bowl with, it, it doesn't matter how great everything else is. And, and look, and I know every once in a while you'll have a Ravens team that went with Dilfer, that that Buccaneers team that went with Brad Johnson, you know, the '85 Bears. McMahon was a good player, but he he wasn't the driver of that team, of course. Th- yeah, if you have the, the the best defense that the league has seen in 12 years, fine. You, maybe you don't need the quarterback to be solved the way other teams do. But much like the way McVay probably went to bed every night thinking, why is Jared Goff my fucking quarterback? I, I don't know if, if maybe the, the same angst is there with Shanahan, but I'm sure he's always thought like, you know, if, if I had if I had Deshaun Watson, if I had Patrick Mahomes, if, if I had one of the, Russell Wilson, man, we, we'd be like three wins better. And remember, Shanahan wanted to wait for Cousins. And then that move was made because Garoppolo came, became available at the trading deadline the year the the walk year of cousins basically right at a price that was presumed to be so cheap that how could you not do it exactly and, and then grapple put really well you know won like seven games in a row yeah although even that garoppolo run it was jimmy fg right i mean they were winning a lot of games where they were kicking four field goals and stuff like that yeah i don't want to see garoppolo's a stiff or anything but he was made into i mean there were debates in new england like did they get rid of the wrong guy <laughs> No, they did not get rid of him. He's like Andy Dalton, basically, Garoppolo. Maybe a little bit better than that, but not much. Yeah. Um, so why don't we just transition to the, the move in your backyard? Uh, Goff's now the Lions quarterback, um, and they get future picks, which people don't realize that they have to be severely discounted. It, the, the, the formula is one round for each year. So it's really... What what this trade really was in present value was Goff, a second round pick, a third round pick, and another third round pick for um, Stafford. I'm sorry. Why do you take the value of the pick down around as the years add up? 
because they're getting a first round pick not in this year's draft but next year's draft so the present value of that pick um and, and this is like standard NFL practice is one round later so I mean, in other I mean, words it. it's it's it's, it's kind of like if i assets that's going to give you flexibility down the road I and mean, i think of it will it will but, if but the NBA Lloyd Free back when he was Lloyd Free was traded to the Clippers I think in 1980 and the 76ers got a 1984 first round draft pick and it was like a joke like oh you know George Orwell throw that pick in right well the NFL the NBA is a little bit different but I hear you. sorry go ahead but yeah. um the you know who the Sixers took in 1984 uh in 84 I don't Charles Barkley. Oh, right, right, Barkley, yeah. Fifth overall, right, or something? Yeah, I believe, yeah, Six. the round mound or rebound. Um, and go out on The Athletic and read the great oral history of the 1984 Olympic trials where Barkley was the best player on the court and Knight still didn't want to take him because Knight was, you know, unapologetically the prick that Knight is. Right. Well, here's the thing. It's kind of like if I tell you that I'm going to give you uh, $500 next year versus $500 today, uh, versus like three hundred dollars today. Right, yeah, the value of the money. Yeah, you know, I'm people would probably take the three. You'd be smart to take the three hundred dollars today and not the five hundred dollars next year. So it's well, kind of like the same thing. I've always played fantasy that way. I said, you know, I think we underrate what we know today. We overrate our ability to see things clearly down the road. Like how how clearly we this idea that oh okay I know that the single A pitcher we have is going to be great in two or three. You, you don't freaking know. The the idea that what the and I know the Nationals eventually got their World Series and everything, but the year that they didn't pitch Strasburg in the playoffs, you know, we used to joke about it, it was like not eating your birthday cake, right? Just oh, yeah. I'll have it next year. That, that doesn't make any sense. Eat the birthday cake. And it's weird because you, you know from the Rams' perspective, they're like and and George Allen was the Rams coach oh, right. before he went to the Redskins, right? They're like the over the hill gang now. They well, first, are not going to have a first, first first round pick in like a decade. Yeah, they won't have a first round pick since Goff, two thousand and seventeen, and that now we're going all the way to twenty twenty four before they get a first round pick. That's crazy in today's game, but. Right. It also speaks to they they probably know look we have a window rather than just sit in the middle and do nothing let's try to let's try to win next year let's try to do it right i like the move for the rams stafford to me is is both teams actually i thought could you imagine the lions getting more for stafford than they did um you know he didn't want to go to new england but boy if i was new england i would have traded my first round pick and a future number one for Stafford. The great, the great thing is, it seems like the reason he didn't want to go to New England was strictly because of Patricia. <laughs> exactly. He was just like, this is the imitation of Belichick. I want nothing to do with that. And you know, we were talking a little bit right before we hit record. When the Lions hired Dan Campbell, there's a great tweet. I, I don't remember off the top of my head who did it. And I apologize for that. About the day Dan Campbell got hired, the Lions twitter account put out a photo of him and he's at his desk and he's got like a piece of paper in front of him and you know, he's just moved in and the tweet said you know dan campbell feeling the stress of having to sell six f-150s by the end of the week you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly what he looked like he looked like a car salesman you know, like you know a respectable and it's you know, ironic since the ford family owns right. the the lions but oh. you know you know nfl people according to lombardi whose opinion on this i respect 
view the Lions as one of the best organizations to work for because they're so loyal. Like, think of the leash that they give these people. Except for Caldwell. Is it still true that no Lions head coach has ever been a head coach anywhere else? Maybe no. Ross, it, it, that that is true. That is true. Caldwell yeah. deserves another, but he's aging out probably. And I can go both ways on the defense on Caldwell because usually the idea is in, in the NFL is don't settle for good because you need to try to be great. But when the Lions are so lousy for so long the fact that Caldwell gave you a nine and seven credibility you know, he was kind of like a Marvin Lewis Marvin player. Lewis I was going to say that's exactly right yes you forget what a joke this franchise was beforehand anyway with Campbell I've kind of bought into the Campbell move now for a couple of reasons for one thing you have to remember it's just going to be hard the Detroit job even with the patient ownership which is, is really good for a first year coach a first time coach you, you need some time to to settle into the job. They were even patient with Patricia. I mean, people were calling for his head a long time before Patricia. Oh my God. They wanted him fired like his first year. Probably was the right move, but, but okay. Here's the thing. Patricia, we can question whether or not, you know, how good of a defensive coach he was. I mean, you know, he had some good moments in new England, but the last thing he did for the Patriots was get gouged in the Super Bowl by Nick Foles. Congratulations. You know, basically all of new England drove Matt Patricia to the airport after that game. <laughs> That's we'll right. See you later. That's right. He's, by the way, he's back with the Patriots now. That's we talked about. In you know, let me just, let me just say, say, say this uh, one thing before you proceed. It was the pencil in the ear that did Patricia <laughs> in because you cannot take a signature thing. That's so completely meaningless and is signaling so strongly that you are just the mere imitation of the original, then to take that pencil, which is a useless device now for somebody Patricia's age, almost his entire adult life, right? And stick it behind your ear. It was over. That was it. Also, the, the idea that he would come to press conferences and he would look like a bar fly. You know, he, he would look like... Some well, guy. that's just sort of the way he lo- he's like a schleppy looking guy. Like, I, what what could he have done? Okay, I get that. Okay, and th- and I can sign off on that to some extent. Other than then he would say things like he would criticize the posture of somebody in the media, how they were sitting at their chair. It's like, are you kidding me? You look homeless, <laughs> and, and that's what you're doing. He took. It, it's funny how for all the. All the good, th- your takeaways from being a Belichick disciple should be all the attention to detail and all the small things that you do that incrementally add up to being a good decision maker. And I feel like so many of Belichick's coaches, Bill O'Brien, this is one of his fatal flaws. He he took Belichick's stubbornness and arrogance, which he didn't really have a right to have that to the level Belichick has it. And he applied it to what he did in Houston. I mean, great. You know, Bill O'Brien did go to Penn State when the program was at its nadir, and he and he had some success there, and that matters. I think he's probably still a good offensive coach. You you don't want him in the right situation. Maybe is he going to Alabama now? Is he the the next? Nick uh, yeah, he is. He is. Like, um, how could you lose? I mean, that's the perfect place to rebuild. Yeah, I mean, what yourself. a gift for Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, here here's the best offense maybe in college history. Have have fun. Every play every play you call will probably work. So have fun. Anyway, back to Campbell. Patricia, I'm not, I'm not saying there isn't a place in the NFL for an old-school, hard-ass coach, but you can't make the experience for your players so joyless and just 
Stafford dreaded playing for the Lions in the Patricia years. And I think Campbell at least is going to be somebody who can change that culture and, and at least in the way that I think Stefanski changed the, the culture in Cleveland. That doesn't mean the Browns will be, you know, some juggernaut for three or four years. I mean, maybe the Browns will never come. Maybe the Browns are going to the um, to the rent with the uh, divisional round. Maybe this will be their height for the next five years or ten years. It's possible, but at least Kevin Stefanski gives them hope. And I think Campbell, given that the Lions can't, they don't have pick of the litter here. They wanted Robert Salah, who's from, I think, Dearborn. He's yeah. from basically Detroit. He is. And he, Salah had enough cred to take better jobs. And, you know, the Jets is a great job. The, the Lions, Nobody's saying the Lions was a great job, so they kind of have to take... Jets got lucky. He was like, in, in retrospect, he was probably the most attractive candidate by far, and the Jets got him somehow, and they were you wouldn't think the most attractive destination you would have thought that San Diego would be. It's it's one of them though. No, it is. It's definitely top three. He's the perfect guy for them too, because he'll, he'll win the press conference. He'll win the oh, PR. He wins the PR. He's the anti-gays. You have to do that. And in some cities you can, maybe it doesn't matter in New York. It, it fucking matters. You, you have to win that room and he's going to win that. He's, he's the type of guy that you're going to sit with him for five or ten minutes, and you're going to want to work for him. You're going to yeah. want to be on his team. That's the type of guy Salah is. But, but I, I was actually, like, afraid that the Patriots would get Stafford. I thought he was, like, perfect for them. And throw the ball to who? Well, you, you know, you could work that stuff out, though. Like, that's I that's a problem, but it's not the first problem. Naming the last NFL team that you thought, wow, they were really good, and I didn't like their skill talent on offense. Well, what I mean is, yeah, they would have to fortify that skill talent. But if you got Stafford, you probably get some free agents to come in. Maybe you get, you know, they have a lot of money. Yeah, Galladay, maybe. Yeah. Also, the Patriots draft early, and I mean, they they could have Jalen Waddle. Oh, absolutely! One of those guys is going to be there when the Patriots yeah. pick. Yeah, this it's a very. Or they could team. get that tight end, the the guy uh, Pitts. He looks pretty. Yeah, the, the is Florida. He looks really yeah, good. Yeah, he's he's a complete freak of nature. Like he's he's a um, basically a wide receiver. So to, to just kind of put a bow on the Stafford trade, I thought the Lions got about as much as they could for Stafford, and it really helped that the Broncos were in on Stafford. Washington, Martin Mayhew has that connection with Stafford in Washington. Denver and Washington are such obvious teams that, you know, there's a nice core here. If they had a quarterback, Matthew Stafford would have been great. Well, and Carolina was in. Yeah. Supposedly Carolina offered the eighth pick. Now, I would have done that if I was the Lions. But the Lions like Goff. Like, they have the Rams front office guy in there, right? Is it possible to think Goff is eligible? I mean, it's possible, but I wouldn't be betting on it. Like, to me, he can't make any plays out of structure. Like, and he's, you know, that's a is problem. Is on McVay, though? Is maybe, maybe McVay, maybe. does he have two two hands on Goff when he's just leave him alone sometimes? That, they're, that, that would be the narrative if you believe in Goff. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm more, you know me. I'm much more in the McVay camp than I'll ever be in the Goff camp. But I wonder if getting away from... Being micromanaged. Micromanaged, yeah. Just somebody who, who, I mean, McVay thinks he's the quarterback of the team. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, it's it's almost like Goff was trapped in the video game and McVay had the controller. Right. 
It's a good analogy. Now, the flip side is we might see, I'm sure McVay will probably say to his coaches, or maybe even, I don't know if he'll confess this to the media, but because Stafford is just better than Goff, he'll probably give Stafford a lot more freedom than Goff ever had. Oh, to. he would have to. Like, what? he can't be pulling that shit with Goff, with Stafford, I don't think. Right. But, you know, that's going to be an adjustment for McVay, too. I think both teams did well. The thing that Detroit needs to do, among many things, would they just have, like, the second-worst defense of the last 40 years? Yeah. They're going to fix that. It really hurt that it took Okoda at three, and he was hurt and did almost nothing. But they were giving it away. They were such a... Every week in DFS, you just had to gang up with the Lions because if you didn't, somebody else was getting. Brady free. threw for like 400 yards at halftime. I've never seen a t- I've never seen an NFL team call off the dogs at halftime. Tampa Bay did. Right. Um, okay, so now why don't we get into the uh, to the game? And speaking of calling off the dogs at yep. at halftime, yep. I you know, and look, I we found it live on the air because I was like, there's something something happened here. The Chiefs called off the dogs. They oh, felt Reed felt team. sorry for Bulls who coached with him. They could have Tyreek Hill could have had as many yards as they wanted him to have. Two hundred yards in the first quarter. Think about that. That is crazy. I guess for some reason I thought this game was early in the season. It was actually in late November. Exactly. It wasn't. It was week twelve. Yeah. So, you know, to me, this game has the potential to get out of hand if the Bucks play the Chiefs the same way. And the problem with the Chiefs is there's really no way to play the Chiefs. What you have to hope with the Chiefs is to play very conservatively, hope that Mahomes gets a little frustrated, hope you get a couple bounces of the ball go your way, and that the Chiefs basically stop themselves. But the one thing you cannot do is dare... It's like that Mecklenburg quote, you know, um, we took, they took what we gave them. We gave them the long pass and they took it. Like, if that is your plan, you are going to get your doors blown off because there's not going to be any mercy in this game. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of teams play defense this way, but it's imperative with the Chiefs. You have to dare them to be patient. You have to dare them to put together 10 play, 12 play, 14 play drives. You cannot let them have three plays, 80 yards, you know, 45-yard touchdown the hill. They That's what they can't have. I think it helps that Tampa Bay has seen them. I think it helps. First of all, Tampa Bay, one thing I think that Tampa Bay has that you need in this game, and it might, it might sound a little bit silly, but I think Tampa, you need the swagger and you need even like the chutzpah, if you're the Tampa Bay defense, to believe that you can win this game. That, okay, yeah, they Kind of like earlier. the Giants against the Patriots. Yeah, it's a good comp, right? I and mean, they get under Brady's feet in that game. And we know Kansas City's offensive line is compromised with, with injuries, although Andy Reid with extra week to prepare is I mean the and plus Mahomes advantage is, is cannot not... be minimized here, okay? Yeah. Andy Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach. Exactly. Bruce Arians is not a Hall of Fame coach. Um, if I like Tampa Bay, you know, get out the Jimmy, uh, get out the uh, Jimmy the Greek, you know, checkboard. Yeah, was yeah. There, <laughs> was there a mark for coaching? Because man, I could give them two checks for the Chiefs. Although Reed, of course, we know Reed. He'll challenge something stupid, and he'll probably make one fourth down decision we don't understand. But he's still he's still a terrific coach, and he's great on on a bye week. But I like that the Buccaneers have defensive 
playmakers on all three levels. David's turning into a star. Um, the, the defensive line is really good. The cornerbacks have that type. You, again, you have to be, you need your cornerbacks, your secondary to be the most cocky guys on the field because they're going to, at some point in this game, they're going to look bad. How can they be cocky watching the film of their last game? The last game against uh, Kansas City? Yeah. They can't, but they, you know, they'll sell the 469 yards for Mahomes in that the game. The team is healthier fine. now. I mean, they, they just shut down what they they shut down. Um, shut down is too strong a word, but they handled Adams pretty well, I thought. No, I would say that they shut Adams down. But he's somebody who you could gang up on he's not Adams. Hill. He's not Hill. They're different. Adams yeah. is great. Yeah. He and Hill are two different things. And plus, there's the pick your poison. There's no. There's no downside to ganging up on Adams, really. There's no good way to defend the Chiefs. As we said, all you can really do is hope you can bait them into taking the short stuff and hope, and again, this is how most teams play defense. They just say, okay, eventually you're going to have a false start. Eventually you're going to take a sack. Eventually somebody's going to drop a pass. You'll get behind the, the down and distance, and then we'll win that third down. You know, Because when the Chiefs are cooking, the whole idea of offense, if you're playing it at a high level, is never even to get the third down. Well, just, against the Bills, 16 of their first 31 plays were first downs. They are fun. They, they are a treat. So the way I wrote about it when I made my pick, and by the way, I love the cow out of the bag. I took Kansas City. I went along and back and forth on this. I did too. I do think Tampa Bay could win, but... I can't get past the fact you look at Kansas City's offensive game logs and you look at all the games. If you want to review it via tape, that's fine too. They have they either play great on offense or they play well on offense. I, I, you know, I think maybe they, they didn't play great. They didn't have to do much in that one Broncos game um, that they yeah. won defensive returns. And the second game was kind of cosmetically close. The team... I don't think anybody really talks about this game or remembers it this well. I think the team that defended... I know who you're going to say, I the think. The Chiefs the best this year was the Patriots. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say the Falcons. Falcons should have won that game. I mean, they held them to 17 first downs, which is very low. New England threw some hybrid looks at Mahomes, a partial man, partial zone, and they confused him for a couple quarters. It was a little bit like when they played in the AFC Championship game. Uh, yeah. The, when the, the they, last, shut, they, had, they shut him out in the first they half. They shut out in the first half, and then Mahomes got 31 after half. It Mahomes was kind shot. of like it was kind of like uh, the uh, first Super Bowl that Brady won, where he, if that game went on indefinitely, the Rams would have scored every time they had the ball. Like, it was over for the Patriots' defense. The Carolina game was like that, too, right? That game was boring as, as hell. It was 3-3, I think, late in the second quarter, and then the second half, everything went batshit crazy. Yeah. Muhammad had the 88-yard touchdown, and you know, they had figured it out. But I thought Belichick, and it's a shame that New England did, you know, when they are playing a backup quarterback that day. Of course, you could argue Cam Newton's kind of like a backup quarterback too. But um, eventually the Patriots just couldn't do, couldn't sustain offense, although they had more first more first downs or, or more yards in that game anyway. But they held them to 26 points. So if you told Tampa Bay right now, would you take Kansas City at 26? Yeah, they, they would take that in a second. But... Yeah, I don't think they're going to get that. But it boils down to this: I think Brady can play well. I think he might play well. I know Mahomes will play well, and there are two 
ridiculous generational. There's no game plan. You can't. What are you going to do with Hill? If God forbid you double Hill, which you're probably going to have to do a lot of times anyway, you are going to get murdered by Kelsey. Unless let's, let's, you unless you bang him at the line of scrimmage, you have to chip him. You yeah. have to try to chip him and get him off his spot. But the, one of the things with but Kelsey, then Mahomes extends plays, and it doesn't matter that you chipped him. I know it gets mentioned a lot, but it's still I think an apropos point. Kelsey's a former quarterback, and Mahomes is always singing the praises of how well Kelsey understands coverage. He understands leverage. He understands setting up defenders. He understands how to play out of struck. I mean, the, the Chiefs are, for all the great play design they have, the throws that Mahomes makes out of structure when he's running, when his body impetus is going the wrong way, and he can still just fling it because he has so much arm talent. He's so cre- creative. And Kelsey and knows how to create a target in those situations. They they are, they're Pearl Monroe and, and Clyde Frazier. They're Stockton and Malone. You know, they're, you know, Jordan and Pippen, whatever you want to say. They're, they're in they're, the same, they, they have the Vulcan mind meld. They're in the same space. Yeah. And it's unfreaking fair. So, so here's the thing. So last, in the last meeting, I, I, I did a deep dive on the athletic uh, uh, in my game preview, which is now in our sports betting vertical that we have, um, which Nando also runs. So I do a little bit for that now uh, with the help of the bet prep data. But so they blitzed Mahomes 12 times. The, the Bucks in the last game. He completed nine for 144 yards and two touchdowns, right? They played man coverage, and some of these plays overlap. Uh, I thought they did it more often, and you would have definitely gotten that sense watching the game. But officially, they only played man five times. Mahomes was four for five for 100 yards and two touchdowns. So, like, if you can't blitz him and you can't play man, that means you basically have to, like, sit back in zone and i don't know that's not really the defensive mindset of the bucks like the bucks don't like to play that way so that's why i think the chiefs have an edge because the chiefs for the bucks to be successful the bucks defense is going to have to play left-handed right from the start i think it's plausible at least that the talent on Tampa Bay's defensive line gives them at least the hope, the puncher's hope. I agree with this. That this is like a Justin Tuck game, right? And really, that was the whole defensive line. It's their edge rushers, too, though. I don't know yeah, if that's really the way to attack Mahomes, but we'll see. I always say this reluctantly because I don't want it to be misconstrued, and I would hate for this to, to play out in a way that became ugly. If I'm Tampa Bay, man, I would I would have to say in that defensive locker room, the defensive meeting, say we got to rattle Mahomes' cage. You get a you know, this is like Reg Dunlop and slap shot. You know, let him know you're there. You know, yeah, the corner, take it early. An early roughing the passer is fine. Would be totally worth it. Would, I mean, look, I'm not saying I'm not saying go, go after his legs or anything. But yeah, yeah. Make him know you're there. Make him not want to get hit. They want they want to play this game as physically as possible and. I guess the silver lining with the defense. I, yeah, I remember when the U.S. women's national soccer team was in the penalty kicks in 1999, and the coach went up to Brianna Scurry, the the goalie. They're going to do five penalty kicks, and if you ever watch soccer, most penalty the, the rate of a conversion on a penalty kick is very high. And he said, "Look, you just get to save one of these. 
if you see, save two of these five, you're a hero. You save one of these five, we could, we could potentially win with that. And that's kind of the thing with the Buccaneers defense is that, look, nobody expects you to hold Mahomes to 10 points or 17 points. It's just not realistic. But if you can keep them under 30, we can win the game. But do you see what I'm saying is that like the cognitive dissonance here, right? Because on the one hand, I agree with you. They have to be very aggressive with Mahomes and physical, right? But on the other hand, they have to be very passive in their coverages. It's almost like they have to have like a bipolar split personality in this game defensively. I would try as much as they could. I would maybe try to to go to school on what Belichick did with some of those hybrid looks because it's not the thing with the thing with like when I say confuse Mahomes or confuse Reed, it, you can only do that for a short amount of time. They're going to figure it out. But if you can just win a couple of possessions that way, if you can get the game into the second quarter, it's like, oh, wow, the Chiefs just punted twice the, in a the row. The Chiefs have punted once this entire postseason. Yeah. But, yes, if you could get them to punt twice in the first half, oh, my God, that is the win of the century. This kind of goes without saying, but I also think Tampa Bay has to embrace this game. Spreads between three and three and a half and just about every outlet, but – they have to embrace this game like they're a seven point, eight point underdog. They have to embrace variance. If you've got a fake punt, if you've got a fake field goal, if you've got stuff like that, you, you this is the time to throw that out there. I would not you can't be afraid of, oh no, if we do this, it doesn't work, we're gonna look stupid, or I'm gonna get crucified. No. They have to play to win and take their swing. Don't we talked about this for years. One of the secret sauces of the Patriots was the teams were so afraid to lose bombastically to the Patriots that they didn't take their best swing at them, that they would say, Oh, okay. We, we don't want to go for it on fourth and one at the 48, you know, we'll, we'll look bad if we, we give it, turn it over. They'll, they'll have a short yeah. field. So get a punt. No, no, no wrong answer. And, and grants the wrong answer for most teams anyway, but Tampa Bay has to, has to let it, you know, they have to let their balls hang, so to speak. So that, that brings us to like when the bucks have the ball, right? And yep. Brady uh, averaged 11.5 air yards per throw, which in today's game is just an insanely high number. And on those plays, um, uh, where he was um, over 11.5 air yards, 160 uh, passing yards and three touchdowns, including that bomb to Miller, right? Uh, but he was also picked three times. So... I don't know if that that's the strategy actually for I think the Chiefs are actually the perfect defense to stop a downfield passing game because that's what they do naturally. And when I did the data on throws 11 yards downfield or longer, they've allowed only 65 completions, which is the third fewest in the NFL this year. And think of how many passes there are against the Chiefs in terms of the pass rate. Their their defense is a lot more interesting, and it's kind of selectively destructive. You, you don't maybe snap to snap. You don't really fear it, but they have Matthews a perfect player for them. You know, that that ball hawking guy in the secondary who can flip plays. They have enough of a pass rushing element. They don't stop the run well, but that's the thing in the NFL that that's the the least thing I'd worry about. I mean if if. If Tampa Bay thinks he can win this game with Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette, go ahead and try. We That's fine with me. I do want to say, 
I think Brady Brady's had a very very good season. This, like I would say a Pro Bowl quality season. Again, a down ballot MVP season. He he wouldn't win it. But let's remember this team. The personnel on the team was not changed that much, and they went seven and nine last year. No, he Brady, definitely deserves credit for sure. I, I know that it, it's people look and say, well, yeah, he was. The offensive what? line is a lot better than last year, though. I think it's fair to say. It helps. I, I think a big key with Brady is you look at how sloppy they were in the first game of the season with the Saints, and they've cleaned a lot of that stuff up. And I, I think Brady, that's partially just the leadership and the presence of him. He's not going to settle for stuff like that. They seem like they're a lot more of a disciplined – not that they're like the most disciplined team in the league. And we've talked about you know maybe you should play on the edge of legality in a lot of ways anyway. But they don't do as many dumb things as they were doing in the early part of the season. And I speak, I think that speaks to how a guy like Brady changes the mindset and the culture when he comes in. Well, as far as the defensive strategy likely to be employed by the Chiefs, they blitz 39% in the regular season. That's the fourth highest rate in the NFL. And they blitz the shit out of Josh Allen in the, in the championship game. They were over 50% blitzes in that game. And... Um, Brady's been really good against a blitz so far in the postseason. I, I have him 32 times. He's been blitzed, and he's been pressured on 13, to- 13 times, uh, including two sacks. When you blitz Mahomes, by the way, his sack rate like gets cut in half than when you don't blitz him. Um, so Brady does you know, get pressured and sacked when blitzed because he's more stationary, obviously. In the prior meeting, they blitz Tampa Bay blitz Brady 20 times. That's the second most they blitz anyone all season, the Chiefs. Brady was 11 for 20 with two touch, uh, two interceptions. And the other 157 times he was blitzed in the regular season, he threw just three picks. So, I don't know. Fact or fluke, the success that the Chiefs had blitzing Brady in the last game? I have to say fluke. You know, Brady, in league-adjusted context, had his best sack rate. It's It's not... There's a lot of years that are very close together, but he just had his best sack rate in 11 seasons, which is saying something. He had to go to a team that could protect him, that he could get comfortable with. And they're, they're pass blocking, I, and I think by all the metrics, not just sacks allowed, which is largely a quarterback sack, but I think yes. their their offensive line grades um, very highly. And, and, it, and that's a trait that the Packers <sighs> graded very highly too, and that didn't really... You know, so that's a credit to the Bucks defense that they were able to generate so much pressure. I came really close to picking Tampa Bay. I think the Tampa Bay offense could easily be a B plus or an A minus in this game. I just expect the Bombs to be an A. And you can, you, again, even if Kansas City has a couple of a sputter outs, just eventually. Tyreek Hill's going to be galloping down the field with a 75-yard touchdown, or we're going to look up. Or like, they're going oh, to be wow. a, there's going to be a jet sweep or something. There's going to be, you know, you, you, there's I no love, way. I love how they're starting to get Hardman the ball, which is just handed to him, because Hardman is still very raw. Remember, he came into college, and they weren't sure if he's going to be an offensive or defensive player. So he's extremely raw with, with routes, and he drops the ball a lot. Normally, we don't care about drops, as long as it's not going to get somebody off the field. But with... Hardman, some of the drops are so soul-crushing. I think it's actually hurt his confidence. It's hurt their trust in him. But lately they've said, okay, the perfect play for Hardman is run that jet sweep, 
where get him in front of Mahomes, where Mahomes can flip him the ball, so that if, God forbid, Hardman puts it on the turf, it's an incomplete pass, and just let the guy run by people. Let him do the Jalen Waddle play, where he just accelerates, and he hits the yeah. e button, and, yeah. and he just, you know it's a 40-yard play. And the great thing about a guy like Hardman is he never has to be the staple of your offense. He's just he's just a side dish. He's and everybody's a, watching Hill. Everybody's well, and, for good I, reason. The, 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 Hill is great. Hill is Hill is Hill is. I mean, we always talk about like how valuable Deshaun Jackson is, even if he never catches a pass. At least you know at his peak. Although I still think he holds some of that value. But even. but Hill's more stout though too. Like he can take he could he could take a alpha. Uh, target share. He's surprisingly thick, and if Kansas, if um, Tampa Bay successfully defended Hill on the long passes, Hill could still murder you with a, with a bunch of short stuff where he gets a bunch of yards after catch. Um, somebody, I think it was Danny Heifeis, I want to say for the Ringer, did a really good piece about why the Chiefs' receivers always wide open. And he, I mean, part of it is just because. Well, yeah, because you take the top off the defense, you're going to get guys wide open. And and if you sell it to stop Hill, you will get Kelsey will just do whatever the hell he wants. And then, you know, oh by the way, Harvard can make a splash play. Oh by the way, Watkins might be back. And as much as I bagged on him, he's still a quality player. And Hill is very tough too, because usually a, a a recipe in games like this is to just beat up that guy, to take the top off the right. Uh, and, I mean, and and you talk about. Right, the, the the great receiver for Alabama, DeAndre uh, Smith. I mean, Devonta Smith. Devonta, yeah. I mean, he's like what, 160 pounds, soaking wet. I mean, Hill is. And they're comparing him to Hill. Hill. It's like, do you guys have eyes? Look at Hill Tyree Hill's legs. Hill is underratedly thick and tough for a guy who is obviously a track acceleration guy, but he can he can play physical. He doesn't seem to shy away from that. A lot of those. Speed receivers. I always felt if you got physical with Deshaun Jackson, you could you could kind of get him off his game. Sometimes I've never noticed that with Hill. I think Hill plays with an edge. So, and the Chiefs, to the Chiefs' credit, they let him do that. I mean, what didn't he shove a coach in the middle of the of the last game? Yeah, there was a controversy as to whether or not that was like um, happy exuberance or angry exuberance. But I don't know. But the Chiefs let Hill be Hill. I I've never seen any at least public excoriation of him or them trying to take away him playing with that edge and they got so lucky right because like he was off all teams draft most teams draft boards and then the chiefs get him in the fifth round everybody knew he was a first round talent but it was just like you couldn't draft the guy because of his past in college so and now it's kind of like you know, you can't, like, the Mets can't sign Trevor Bauer because of uh, Twitter spats that he's had. Where it's like, well, where are people, nobody's uh, taking away from the Chiefs for having Hill for basically, I don't want to call it cheating, but it wasn't, like, great drafting. They were just like, fuck it, we don't care. This guy's great, we're taking him. I, I don't know... Make sure I don't go anywhere. I really don't want to go. But this is a problem in society where people can do things socially that are obviously wrong and sometimes really heinously wrong. And we have to get past the idea that this is awful. This makes me un- this unsettles me. This isn't human. This isn't acceptable. Then we have to get to be, okay, well, what is the proper punishment for that? What should become of a player 
Aralus Chapman had a domestic issue with his wife. Um, the facts that have come out are, are really bad. What should the punishment be? Should he not be allowed to pitch ever in baseball again? I, I don't know. Some people might say that. I mean, some people will still beg on the Cubs for why did they sign or why did they trade for Aralus Chapman? Did that taint their 2016 championship? Right. I, I don't know what. Like for for example, Mickey, Mickey Callaway, what he did, he sounded like a creep. I, I don't know that we know for sure that he's like this serial sex offender or something. He just did a lot of stuff that you know is really creepy, and, I, and he's probably gonna lose his job for it. I just I I want to know what's the right. I, I saw a story uh, of a high school girl who had posted a video of her driving and she used a, a racial slur, like the most common racial slur you can think of for an African-American person. And it became a viral video that she shared. But you know, she grew up in a culture where she's listened to all this rap music and, and the word is thrown about. And you know, two or three years later, she was posting stuff in her social media about Black Lives Matter. And it didn't seem like th this person had a runaway racial problem or something. And somebody had sat on that video for like three years. And then when she got accepted to the college of her choice, this person let the video out and there was an outcry that, Oh, university of Tennessee can't accept her now. And you know, it basically her life's ruined. I'm not saying what she said in three for three seconds when she was 15, what was, I'm not saying it was right. It was obviously wrong. There deserves to be consequences for it. Should it end her life? Should it make her unable to go to any college she wants to now? I, I that feels like too far for me. Yeah, no, I, it's a, it's definitely a good point, you know. And nobody's taking these, just like nobody's going to take away the the Chapman um, uh, World Series win from the Cubs. No one's going to take these Super Bowls. Like if the the Chiefs are a, a historic team, if they win again, nobody's going to put an asterisk and say, well, they only got Tyreek Hill because you know he was crossed off of almost every team's draft board. So, you know, this is just where we are. But where I will give the Chiefs credit, and this is something that nobody talks about, we you talked a little bit about their defense and so did I, but they play perfect complementary football. They are like hand in glove with their offense. So, and that's basically my take on this game, and I guess I'm more bearish on the Bucks prospects than you are, is that how do you beat the Chiefs without generating big plays with your offense? But the Chiefs do not allow big plays with their defense. So that's why they're the perfect defense. They make you do the thing that's not going to beat them, probably. And that's the reason why they win so much. Because, you know, at some point you're going to have to make a, a three or four huge plays on offense to beat the Chiefs. And they just don't, they're like how the Colts used to be, where they just don't allow those plays. The hope you have if you're Tampa Bay is, okay, the Raiders beat the Chiefs. Okay, Justin Herbert went to the overtime, went to overtime in his first start against the Chiefs. I, obviously, the second Charger game doesn't count because it's week 17 and, and everybody yeah. sat in that game. I think Tampa Bay can win. It's just they need to – Tampa Bay needs to play a better version – of who they are they need, they need to hit the higher end of their range to win where kansas city i don't think has to i i like how you framed the element of kansas city's defense the way they play complementary football with their offense and i think spagnolo's done a good job with that defense again all you're asking is just win a couple of big plays you know 
give me a couple of sacks, give me a couple of turnovers, maybe make a big play on special teams where as soon as Harvard, as long as Harvard doesn't fumble, he's, you know, he's a threat. He's one of those guys. There's only a handful of guys in NFL history where you're thinking every time he catches the ball, he might score a touchdown. Harvard's one of those guys. Well, so is Hill. Hill almost looked like he had. Oh, of course, but I'm, I'm talking about special yeah. teams player more. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, special teams, teams for anymore. sure. Right. Uh, he's too valuable for that. I said that that was a good prop bet, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Like because they were, I think they're 29 to one for defensive or special teams for the Chiefs to um, to um, be the first score of the game. That's happened five times in the Super Bowls. It happens much less frequently, about half as frequently as just a rate of touchdowns in the regular season. But I kind of like it because the favorite wins, the favorite scores first in like 64% of, of Super Bowls. And the first team that scores a touchdown wins 72% of Super Bowls. I think that there's, it's kind of meaningless because it's probably not going to happen. So who cares if it should be 17 to one versus 29 to one. But I think if you hit it, you're getting paid way more than you should. Here's one thing I struggle with with this game for fantasy purposes. If I were the Chiefs, I would say Daryl Williams is my guy, and if we get anything from Edward Hilaire in a complimentary role, and maybe even if he hot hands his way into a bigger role, we're fine with that if it happens. But I would come out with Williams first. Kansas City has so many splashy guys that – Ironically, all I want from a running back is the reliable. If it's three yards to get, you know, if there's three yards on the play, get the three yards. Don't dance. Don't take negative runs. Just move forward. Convert the short yardage when we ask you. Catch the ball if you're asked to, to, to catch it, even though our offense is predicated about d- different guys making splashy plays. I think the Chiefs are better off if they – Williams is the alpha. Or alpha might be too strong of a word, but, but Williams is the primary back. And then they sprinkle in Edward Zillaire. I wouldn't. I wouldn't use Le'Veon Bell at all unless somebody got hurt. And even then, I might not use him. Well, the other reason why I like the 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 Chiefs, and I, I'm going 34-20, and I and I and I don't like the over. I think if you like the Bucks, you really have to love the over. And I think that's a check on that's how much point. you like that's the great, Bucks. But I, I, but this is not going to be a twenty to seventeen game. Yeah, like that's a check on how much you like the Bucks. Like if you think you like the Bucks. But you're not loving the over, then you really don't like the Bucks as much as you think you do. So, right. um, but I can't see Tampa Bay winning this game. The way Tampa Bay just beat the Saints and Green Bay, Brady played I think a really poor half at New Orleans, and then a pretty good second half. I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine against Green Bay. He's kind of the other other way around. He played better early in the game, and he played poorly late. I would say I would say Brady gets like an A minus for the Washington game, gets like a C to C plus for the New Orleans game, and gets maybe a, a B in the a Green B. Bay game. Yeah, I would say a B and is you, fair. You're not winning. if he has a C plus game. They, I would say they have no chance. But barring something stupid like Mahomes getting hurt or something. But you would have said if he had a B game against the Packers, he would have no chance. But. I, I would have given Tampa Bay's defense a shot against Rodgers. Yeah. Um, At least I hope I would have But said what that. we were saying as far as the alpha, this is another reason why I like the, the Chiefs, um, because I don't think they're going to run, hardly at all. You don't want to run against the Bucks because they're such a stout run defense. That's their personality. You're. I always have this conversation with my 538 colleague, Josh Hermsmeyer, who's also been a guest of the podcast. 
that he's always like, you got to just dare them to to uh, uh, to run. You want to set up your defense so they run. And I'm like, Josh, they're not going to cooperate. They did it against the Bills just because that, maybe just to see if they could, and they won that game. But there's you can't dare the Chiefs to run because they will still pass. And if you um, uh, and plus the Bucks don't want to do that. Their whole personality is stuffing the running game. So I think that plays into the Chiefs' hands because I think I would expect this game, when while it's being contested, to be at a minimum minimum 80% passes for the Chiefs. I mean, when I mentioned Williams, I, I mentioned I, my point is kind of when they get to the goal line and he he gets a carry from the two, punch it in. Oh, I see what you're saying. Occasionally, okay. and on third and one. Yeah, you know, do that. Give us enough of a running presence just so we're not throwing every day. I, I don't think I still don't think it's optimal. Isn't it a, that a win though? Like if you're in the scrum of the game, um, in a kind of a neutral situation, isn't it just running the ball a win for the Bucks defense? Like the last thing you want if you're rooting for the Bucks is to see Mahomes drop back, right? I'm not counting the the gadget type of runs with the wide receivers. I I get what you're saying. And I, I realize that every statistical model is going to be the passing is more efficient. It needs to be the foundation of your offense. It's going to be the foundation of their offense. But I also think it's incumbent on the Chiefs to sh- – it's like it's like that – I don't know, that change-up or that little get-me-over curveball that you, isn't somebody's primary pitch. But you just have it. I, I just want them – I don't want them to be too easy. It's never going to be easy to defend the Chiefs athletically. But I don't want them to be too easy schematically in the sense that they don't at least show you, showcase the run. Just give give them a little bit. And of course, they'll have a lot of that jet sweep action. That that's the classic. Hey, look over here. Look over here. You know. You know. It's funny. I was just re- recently. This isn't exactly the same thing, but I was recently researching what Dallas used to do with their offensive line, where they they would do that. I forget they call it the Landry shift or whatever, where the linemen would all stand up at the oh, same yeah, time. Oh yeah, that was so cool. It was really cool. And you know, the idea is that. They would, I guess, they wanted the part of it was just strict distraction, and it would it would give the defense less of a look into the backfield, but also it would give the offensive line one more chance just to solidify what their role was in that play. Well, because it's hard block. to say to stay in a power stance for a long time, so they were That's able to like thing. stand up and then get back down. I'm surprised it hasn't become standard. You see, some of the is that um, a penalty? Is what a penalty now? I don't think so. It's, it's weird because it's a thing that was successful for Dallas, but nobody copied it. I mean, right. they pretty much invented the shotgun, and then, of course, it's become the staple of the league now. But that's not like a legal procedure or something? I don't think it, – it very well might be. I'm not an expert on the rules, but, yeah, I'm kind of surprised now that there I would love high- to see that. I would – that would just – that would thrill me if I saw Even that. Even if somebody did it once as like a an homage, you know, like the Super Bowl was in – was in Dallas one year and they were doing some Tom Landry thing or something, you know, and the flex like, defense should come back. There's no reason why all the linemen have to be right at the ball. One guy could be flexed off of it. That makes that guy hard to block, man. The jets did that with Klecko too. They copied that. I think that, I'm surprised so many linemen on both sides of the ball are still going in a stance. I, I would think it'd be easier to play if you're actually in an athletic position, but not with your hand on the ground. Yeah. 
I would uh, hate that. I would, God, I would, I would have hated to play football and have to be in an offensive lineman stance 60, 70 times a game. Just thinking about it makes my back hurt. So props, um, we, which we kind of talked about, um, are the expert that I do the Given Props podcast with. He loves his favorite prop of the whole Super Bowl is Tampa Bay to pump more than Kansas City, um, which you have to give juice. It was like minus 143. I don't know what it is now. This was last week. It's not crazy juice. Okay. Chiefs under 3.5 punts, which is minus 148. And this is a team, remember, they have punted one time in the postseason once. So, and even if you go back to last uh, year's postseason, they've only punted a couple times. I, I just cannot see four punts to lose this bet. I mean, it's almost inconceivable to me that the Chiefs will pump four times. Right. I, you, maybe one of the things I would worry about the way you could lose that is if Kansas City got ahead by enough points where a punt actually became defensible in the second half because they just didn't want to give away anything for free against Tampa Bay. True, yeah. But still, to get to four is hard, but yeah. I That's an interesting it. prop. I hadn't thought about that. I probably don't have the guts to bet it, but one one thing that does worry me about Kansas City, I don't I don't understand this. Why is it that I feel like Butker is going to nail every fifty two yard kick and, and miss I, the extra points because the jerk off lines up on the hash instead of right in the middle of the fucking field? I remember covering. A high school basketball game where they had this one team had this three point specialist. All he did pretty much is jack up threes and he had his shot calibrated to that range. And he, I'm going to guess he was probably like a 40% three point shooter when that was outstanding. And yet he was, he couldn't make them at the line. He, you would throw him to the free throw line and his calibration was McAdoo off. And he was felt, a little like that. Who's that? McAdoo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Duke has a player named um, Hurt who's uh, who's like that, where he's a he's a, he's a great three point stroke, and he's struggling at the free well, throw line. Well, usually I've written about this. I don't want to get like too deep in the scientific weeds, but that has to do with impro- improvisational movement versus practiced movement. They're completely different things. So when you're shooting a three, you're in your jazz mode. You know what I mean? Like nothing is really like uh, structured. Um, but when you're shooting a free throw, it's totally different. It's like putting, right? And uh, so what you're doing is you're thinking about things where in normal athleticism, you're just doing the thing. And the thing to get you out of a free throw shooting slump is to do exactly the thing that you shouldn't be doing, which is to think more and practice more and practice movement more. It's funny to see what certain guys will try. Every once in a while, you'll see somebody go askew at the line. Like they, they won't they won't be square to the basket. They'll shoot it from one side or another side. Some guys will just take the ball and jack it up right away. Will I, I, is I a classic that. example. Will once made eight out of ten shots from half court. Will was a globetrotter, okay, but he couldn't shoot free throws. Not because he didn't have an outside shot, which is what people think. It wasn't like a kind of like a shack thing. He had an outside shot. He would hit like from three-point range hook shots in the corner. Uh, but it was just the whole thing versus practice movement and improvisational movement. I feel like almost anybody, I mean, even just ordinary people like you and me, I was a really good free throw shooter when I was when I was playing. And I think if 
like if somebody wanted to like challenge me to a free throw shooting contest, I would need some time to get back into form for that. But I think most of that is just the muscle memory and doing the same thing every time and just throwing the ball up with the right amount of dead spin. So it did. So you're going to get bounces off the rim and stuff like that. Right. I think most people should be able to be great free throw shooters. The, ca- the case with Shaq is he was so strong. It was, it worked against him. And also I, he tried so many different things. There's been speculation that what if like you, you made him practice with Rick Barry for like six months and he, and he did the underhand shot, but nobody's going to take an underhand free throw shot. It looks shot. too wimpy. Yeah. It's, it's, you'll be made fun of. Fly. It's not, it's they would not rather just socially suck at acceptable. It make them that way. Yeah, exactly. You, I suspect you were probably a good free throw shooter too. Um, a little bit. I did win the uh, uh, the top prize once at the boardwalk, but I wasn't that good a free throw shooter. But I was barred. They barred me after that. Where really I did just get lucky. Like you had to make like five in a row, and the hoop is smaller than you know uh, normal. It's like it's all all the tricks that they use at the boardwalk, right? To, oh, like, the, just the steal carnival your money. is such. A, it's such a racket. It's basically, I'm watching Better Call Saul. Like but even that. better than actually making them, and I was with people, was when I went back to try to do it again, they wouldn't let me play. And I was like almost wanting to say to the guy, I am not that good, dude. But it was just such a compliment that they that they, that they yeah, barred me. you get barred from the carnival, when you get barred from the people who are cheating you, that's, that's, that is a compliment. Yeah, but like I said, it was it was mostly luck. Um, so you said that you I, like. I want, I want to point out that in a in a youth game, I was once fouled, um, down two points, drove drove to the lane, did my patented up fake, which worked on most people. Some, Alan Sunkis didn't bite, did another up fake. Sunkis didn't bite. So finally, there's like no time left. I, I got to shoot. It's like you know, the clock's probably down to like two seconds. I go to put up a shot, and Sunkis just friggin' swats it into next week. All ball, and God love Eric Sawyer. He called a foul on the play, and, and Sunkiss was going crazy, jumping up and down because it was a clean block, and we both knew it. I, so I, I think it's only fair that I point out. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, so we're down two. They call they call a foul, shooting foul. They call they call timeout to ice me. And I thought during the timeout, I thought I'm not nervous. You know, I'm I'm not nervous at all here for two reasons. One is because I've shot a million free throws. I, I know how to shoot it. I do the same thing every time. I expect to make free throws. But I think the reason why I, the big reason why I felt no pressure for these free throws is that I knew this was a free roll because the game should have already been over. There shouldn't have been a foul called, and I was getting a second chance. And so I was like, this is just a free roll. And I'm, I think really the only hard one here is the first one. If I hit the first one, I'll expect to make the second one. So I make both free throws. Game goes to overtime. We get destroyed in overtime by like, like a 12 to 1 or something. Like the game isn't even close. They just blow us off the court. And the whole time I'm thinking, I'm going to remember for the rest of my life that I get followed at the end of a game and hit both free throws. You know, there's millions of people who haven't done that. Now, granted, in games that were a thousand times more important than the game I was playing in. But although I did have some friends at the game, so there's some pressure for that too. But um, that's my little, you know, that's my little moment. I think it's only fair that I that I come out and admit that I missed both of my free throws in that game against the Giants, um, and my head was spinning in my defense because trust me, when you're when you're playing, it was the '84 Giants, but 
this was like some serious physical intimidation. So in yeah. my defense, yeah, what's, what's Taylor, what's Taylor had to go in the locker room to get hyped up for the game. However you want to phrase that and spin that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you, did anybody like, were there any hired fouls? Were they, were they really going? Oh, I was fouled hard. Yeah. I think by, uh, um, I don't think it was Mayock. I think it was Shirk. Jerry Shirk. Yeah. Those guys were like I, I always tell people, you know, the 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 guards were like superheroes. It was like playing the Flash. Like they defied all the geometry that you're used to in basketball. And um, the the uh, the guys who were playing like front court, they were like Coke machines. I mean, you could not, you can't even imagine how impossible it was to move these men. And I'm a big dude. Like, you know, it is no contest. I was so outclassed. I might as well have been a different species. Um, I, think, I think people don't understand sometimes. Like People think of defensive backs in football or they think of guards in basketball. If you saw that guy in your backyard, if you saw that guy at the gym, you'd be like, oh my God, this guy's a Greek god. This guy's chiseled out of stone. And he's one of the smaller players on the field. Right. A lot of these guys who are good enough to play guard in the NBA, they a lot of times they averaged like 11 rebounds in high school or something, or nine rebounds, something crazy, because they were so physical and athletic. And they might have played for some of these guys might have been forwards or even centers if they were on a small enough team in high school. Yeah. Uh, it's it's nuts. Um, they they are like they're all superhuman. Like even the ones that we think are bad are superhuman. Um, I'm sure the Giants before that game. I'm sure they there was a locker room meeting and they said, "Selfino must go down. He must <laughs> go down hard. We we gotta get in Selfino's head like in the first ninety seconds." <laughs> uh, so I like the punting prop. What prop do you like the most? Nicole Hardman. And you like him over or under? Over, which I think was 27, 28 and a half. I, I, what he can easily make on one play. I love the fact that they're being more proactive with him, with the handoffs, with that jet sweep action. He's, I, I know Watkins might play. I don't care. Robinson yeah, that was what our, our guy um, liked Hardman under the number because of the Watkins factor. They will take a shot with Hardman, a couple of shots. I, they, he only needs one play to do it. And in you know, the last six games, he's got three touchdowns. In the playoffs, I think Hardman has 115 total yards in two games. But I he's not he, getting snaps, though. You know who got this? The the he doesn't, mo- he doesn't need. He doesn't need. The point is, it was Pringle who got the snaps, believe it or not. But I hear you. All, all you need with Hardman is the buy-in that the Chiefs. Anywhere from four to seven times, we'll try to get the ball in his hands. That's enough. He'll do you get think? That uh, don't over. don't you think a factor for your for liking Hardman is your confidence level that the Bucks will have success in loading up against Kelsey and um, Hill? It's actually not. I actually don't think that. That's the reason why I don't, I, I don't like think Hardman. Either, but like, I think I think. Hill and Kelsey will be basically unstoppable from wire to wire. Weren't Hill and Kelsey unstoppable last week and Harvin still made the splash play? Yeah. Was that a run, though? 
I think two weeks ago it was a run. The last week it was a pass. Because again, the, with those flip, that's and that's one thing you'll you can need the scoring. Yes. If you get him, if you get him, you know, in a, a yardage prop, if you, if the receiving prop, try to get him in a total yards prop. Because the thing is, it's the same play basically, whether he hands it off or whether he shovels it. But boy, what a difference! I always hate it when the quarterbacks get the yardage for that. Well, the thing, the reason why I love the shovel, I mentioned it earlier, is because Harvin's got sketchy hands, and I love that the shovel protects you in case he fumbles it. Yeah, but he's not going to fumble a snap, though. No, I, I mean, know. like a like a not 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 a snap, but a handoff, right? Right. Well, yeah, but the shovel requires at least a little bit of you know, don't take your eyes off the ball, don't get ahead of yourself with the run. Anyway, I like Hardman. I think they'll involve him. And it's what twenty seven and a half or something like that. Yeah, it's a you could be cashing that thing fifteen seconds into the game. You could, you could. But Watkins had eighteen targets in the three postseason games last year. He hasn't played in so long. Oh, you know what we ever mentioned once, by the way. I don't, I don't think we have Andy Reid bye week. No, you did mention it. Oh, did you, I? You, okay. you said how Andy Reid in the bye week, bye week, especially in in terms of uh, shutting down like the pass rush. And, and also, I think is really important. A lot of talk has been we, we haven't talked about it so much, but the key physical problems um, and possible absences on the Kansas City offensive line always easier to mask in the passing game than the running game. And as we have said, the entirety we've done this podcast is that you, know, you said it earlier: quarterback sacks, sacks are more of a quarterback stat than anything else. So Mahomes, you might think, oh. Tampa Bay's line is playing great right now, and Kansas City's got offensive line problems. I, they That's something you can work around. And that's why they don't punt, by the way, because sacks correlate to punts. Yeah, and, you've always made that point. So and, sacks, are, uh, sacks are the most underrated destructive thing in football. Yeah, like in other words, if you told me that a team was going to be sacked um, five times, and they were only going to sack the opposing quarterback twice. I would say, man, that team that with the five sacks has got to be like eighty percent to win, unless something really screwy happens. Was that Green Bay last week? Was yeah, Rodgers absorbed sacks. I know Brady. He got sacked five times. Yeah, there. That's exactly what happened last week. Um, and that's why you could even lose the turnovers because sacks are basically like mini turnovers that nobody really counts. Kind of like missed field goals are turnovers. <laughs> I think it's really hard to build Tampa Bay prop cases because the the usage is. So I got one. I got one. Erratic. Well, I was going to ask you if you had anything. Go ahead. Okay, so um, our this is literally a pro tip: Brady over one point five passing touchdowns minus two seventy five. So because the line is two point five, so you knock it down to one point five. You pay you pay the juice. Our guy says that that's a wise bet because Brady has gone uh, sixteen for nineteen. And beating that prop, which is 84%, and your implied odds at minus 275 is that Brady only has a 67% chance to do it. And he also likes it because no matter how the game goes, you're likely to to get that second touchdown. If Tampa Bay wins, you're going to get it, right? And if Tampa Bay loses, you get the backdoor backdoor one. And plus, here's the other thing that I just dug up – uh, the NFL rate of passing inside the five-yard line is 42.8%. Tampa Bay and Brady, 53.7. 17 of 30 Tampa Bay touchdowns near the goal line have come via the air, which is 56.7%. The league-wide rate is just 44.6%. So 
uh, touchdowns from the five-yard line are in. Um, so in other words, the majority about what would that be? Uh, so that's um, 45.4% or 55. That. that spiked this year. 55.4. The previous year. Yeah. So 55.4 are our runs. And for the, and, and it's going to be the inverse for the bucks. So you get, that's kind of like a tailwind that you have, like the cheap touchdown on the doorstep is, is, is also working in your favor. Plus, pretty much no matter how the game goes. And so what he said in our podcast as advice to um, novice gamblers is that sometimes people think that giving the juice is like the bad thing to do um, because you're cutting into your profit, but it's actually the smart thing to do when the implied odds are skewed as they, uh, as they are. I mean, generally speaking, my advice is not to bet a lot of money to win a little, but if you think, if you think something's an overlay... Yeah, you know, if you can get something to plus at minus, you know, 200, 250, 300, but you think it's really something that should be minus 500. So he's 16 and three. Brady's 16 and three in beating that prop this year. I also want to mention if you're if you're thinking props, period. And look, I have to mention BetMGM, which is the Yahoo partner. It's it's a great. It's also also an athletic partner. Okay, so that's I I think you should. uh, They have some great bonuses, but. You can't get past one thing. If you're in an area where this stuff is available, there are so many different incentives, bonuses, free rolls. Um, it's incumbent on you to shop at different different places. Yeah, definitely shop the props because you could, if you like something, you're pro. It's there's it, there's no uniformity. Any, you want to buy Kansas City? Look at three or four different areas and see what the best line you can get. Whatever you really Tampa Bay. I've seen some places have three, some places have three and a half. And plus, if, if you, you like wanna, Tampa Bay, you 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 also need to just bet them straight up. Here's not that thing. many points. Here's nothing that always comes up with if you like a side. The whole rule of. I'm not sure if I believe it this year, but usually the rule is if you want to bet a team to win, are you getting better odds if you just bet on the quarterback to win MVP? Is that a better is that a better play? Uh, that's that's a good question. I'm going to ask that during our podcast tomorrow. Yeah, I mean it, it does happen. The problem with Mahomes is that it's it's possible. That Kelsey or Hill could have such a generationally great game that they can't deny it. And Mahomes is kind of boring. Didn't Rice go over two hundred though in the Super Bowl and not win it? Yeah, Montana won the MVP. That 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 was, and and they only scored. You know, that was the game where where they didn't they win like twenty to fourteen or something, twenty to seventeen, sixteen, twenty to sixteen. That's the John Candy because it was sixteen. It was sixteen thirteen. They could have kicked the field goal. Yeah, and Rice. On that last drive, they went like 90 yards, and it was almost all to Rice except for the touchdown to Taylor. I think that was the only catch Taylor made. And the funny thing is— Yeah, he had one catch that game. That's true. That was the MVP throw because if it's to Rice, they have to give it to they Rice. They have to give it to Rice. That's so true. But Ted is probably like, okay, you know what? Rice, you're great. You, you won this game for us. Watch me just seal up MVP by throwing it a slant to Taylor. It's such a pretty play. It really—the the whole drive is. Yeah. And the Chiefs are like that. The Chiefs are like those nine. For all the football we watch, that's choppy. That looks like the team just met five minutes for the game. The Chiefs are the, the reward. Watching and, them. And this game's not going to be choppy, so the defensive MVP is almost off the board. Right. A, def- a defensive MVP would need... It's so hard. Chaos. To you need chaos in the game. 
Yeah, he might need to score a touchdown. I, I mean, look, I, I thought Tuck's performance against the Patriots that first time, and actually in both games, I, this will always piss me off that Eli Manning won the MVP. But but I'm, but I'm telling you, uh, we when you do the MVP math, there's no way that that um, Eli it wasn't it had nothing to do with Eli. Any quarterback in that situation wins the MVP 100 out of 100 times. Yeah, the first Brady Super Bowl, he had fewer than 100 yards passing into the final drive. And then he had a perfectly effective drive to get them into field goal range for a 47-yarder in, in the dome. And Brady won MVP. I would have given that MVP. That should have been Ty Law. Ty Law or Troy Brown would have been okay with me too, but probably Ty Law, who yeah. had a touchdown. That He had what you wanted. He had a game that actually, not only was he effective the whole game, but he had something portable, something tangible that the voters could lock in. You know what the problem in that game was for Law? That the, the their defense had disintegrated. By the end of the game. Right. People couldn't remember how well it played yeah. because Warner was doing whatever he wanted. Um, that was the U2 speaking, Super Bowl. Speaking of, the, speaking of what was, let me ask you this. Here's a little trivia question for you, although I don't know if I can ask it in a way that's going to beg the right answer. But um, what was similar about the late fourth quarter, about the first Patriot Championship and the second Patriot Championship, other than the fact that they went down the field and got the game-winning kick? The 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 second one was the Panthers. Yes. There's one interesting thing that happened right before the Patriots got the ball in both those games. Right before they got the ball, well, there was a touchdown scored by the opponent, but that same doesn't count. Both touchdowns. Oh, uh, are the same players scored both? Yes. Ricky Prohl. Very nice, Ricky Prohl, and and when Prohl scored against Carolina, I said to my friends, "I don't have the sense." Tomorrow is Groundhog Day, and this is Groundhog Day. Ricky Prohl just scored, and now the Patriots could come down and Venturi's. And he scored for a guy that was kind of like. A, not even really remembered as being part of the Rams teams or just even generally, he also scored the the only touchdown to beat the Bucks, didn't he? In that 11-6 game? Yeah. He was a, Ricky Pro was a good football player. But he was like such a non, he was not even in the, like if uh, in DFS you wouldn't even have thought about playing him back then. What do you think his best fantasy finish was that receiver first season? It probably was with the Panthers. It couldn't have been with the Rams. Unless the Rams were just so prolific that he had like eight touchdowns anyway. I don't know. Part of this speaks to just how different the game was then because it came from a 65, 8, 77, 7 season. If you did that now, you'd be wide receiver 29. Uh, that was wide receiver 8 in 1993 for the at the time, Phoenix Cardinals. Oh, yeah, that's right. He played for one, two, three, four. He played for six different teams. I don't remember. He played very briefly for the Colts. Was that Jake Plummer? Or... The quarterback? Plummer was later. Uh, Pearl predated Plummer. So was it... It wasn't hey, Boomer, Plummer. was it? No. Because you said 93. It wasn't Lomax. Lomax was he gone by then, right? Prohl caught his touchdowns from Berline, Warner, DeLome, Eric Kramer, Tim Rosenbach, Trent Oh, Green. Rosenbach. Yeah. So 93 was probably Rosenbach. Yeah. Um, Berline. Actually, Berline was a Cardinals quarterback then. 
And then he was the Panthers quarterback. That one, that one year, the Panthers. He had was the Panthers quarterback. With was was Prohl on that team too? On which team? The Panthers team. Well, of course, yeah, he caught that touchdown for. No, the... with Burline. No, no, he was on the Rams then. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that team, that, that team, team was crazy. Ninety nine Panthers, right? It was Muhammad and Patrick it wasn't. Jeffers. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't Smith. Smith wasn't even on the team yet. Smith wasn't in the NFL yet. Yeah, and that was um, Burline. I mean, it was Week Twelve against Green Bay. They were talking about Jeff Lewis was their backup quarterback, and the idea was that if the Panthers lost one more game, they were maybe going to bench Burline just to see what Lewis could do, and they had. Time for one more play at Green Bay. They're, I don't know, five, six-yard line, something like that. And they ran a quarterback draw. And Burline was one of the slowest quarterbacks. And he scored by the absolute tiniest of margins. And then they just went on, and they they were smashing people. And they got into a situation in the final game of the season where they needed to win, but they also needed margin of victory. They need to keep they need to keep scoring as many points as possible to, to maybe sneak into the playoffs. So they they beat the Saints forty five to thirteen that day. Yeah, they were, they were still throwing the ball late in that game. Yeah, I I, I, I vaguely remember it. I had Muhammad that year in an important place because I remember his season because I theorized that um, either during or after the Muhammad season that we overrate speed with downfield receiving ability where size is also a big factor because Muhammad was famously slow. It's funny. But he, he was he awesome. He was awesome on the boundary downfield. He has a fascinating career because his his career is a bunch of, you know, wide receiver twenty one, wide receiver sixteen, wide receiver thirty five, wide receiver thirty seven. He was tenth tenth in that ninety nine year when he was great. But he had one year where it all came together for him. He was the number one receiver. I love guys who just have years that stick out, you know, like the Nick Foles season that is unlike any other season they had. Right. We see Muhammad scored 16 touchdowns with the Panthers in 2004. It was the wide receiver one. The thing that was really great about that 99 team, and you don't see this anymore, the football is just different then, is that the usage was so narrow that all the touchdowns pretty much went to Muhammad went to Jeffers and went to their really good and probably historically forgotten about tight end Wesley Walls. Yeah, Wesley Walls. Yeah. They caught the team through 36 touchdowns. 34 of them went to three guys. And then Donald Hayes had two. Brian Kitchen had Kinchin, not Kitchen. Kinchin had two. And that was it. So every touchdown went to one of three guys pretty yeah. much. All right, so I didn't th- I didn't expect us to end it with the Panthers but and Musa and Muhammad, but yeah, I, I did. That's right. You come to us for for Musa Muhammad commentary, Patrick um, Jefferson commentary. All right, man. So Groundhog Day. Uh, so we gave you a little bit of everything. We're going to be back soon with uh, baseball coverage. I just um, started my first draft. I'm excited, and uh, yeah, I'm in one now. It's just a fifty dollar one, but somebody was like, "Join my thing," you know, on Twitter. One of the people that I follow, and I did middle round pick. I started Trout Bauer. I had I I. I KDS the fifth pick, which was my preference. You know, that's, 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 I KDS five, too. That's where I want to pick in the middle of the round. Yeah. And so I got DeGrom, but I figure if DeGrom went, I would get Trout. Um, or maybe even, you know, I can't imagine not taking Trout. So I got DeGrom, and then on the way back, I got um, uh, Harper, who I know you hate. And then 
and, all right. and then Abreu. And then, I, and then I think Rendon. This is a 12-team league, so I want to do a 12 instead of a 15. I'm usually in 15. This is a 12. Harper's such a high floor. I, I, as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's incapable of having a bad season. And Abreu has a chance to join that trivia question that I asked. Guy. Third trade. I mean, he could be, be the third Totally trade. asterisk with that. But hey, when you do sixty and sixty games, that's you deserve. I'm not going to asterisk you. He was the right MVP. I thought, I thought Freeman was the right pick too. In a year where there wasn't an obvious, nobody ran away with it. But I was I was content with. I both. think Abreu is underrated in fantasy. He's a I good hitter, man. He's going to hit three hundred. He's got power. I mean, he hits a little bit too many ground balls, but he's switching that a little bit. And the guy knocks and runs, and it's a good lineup. You know. I agree with you. I think he's been underrated his entire career. And I think sometimes with this ground ball, fly ball stuff, some of the stats we get lost in the weeds. If somebody consistently produces in the – Abreu doesn't run, of course, but four categories. If he consistently produces multiple categories that we care about. Average at, is so important. Right? At a position that is sneakily not – first base used to be, oh, my, you can't miss at first base. There are so many good ones. That, those days are gone. There yep. are a lot of mediocre first basemen out there. That's a position – my kind of rule of thumb in early rounds with offense, even though I did take Trout, is that if I'm if I see two guys I think are similar and one of them's an infielder, I'd just rather have the infielder. Exactly. Abreu's been underrated his whole career. Uh, when have you ever lost money on Jose Abreu? Uh, I just realized that I was auto drafted Starling Marte. Oh, I hate being auto drafted. I mean, I had my queue was full, but it, I went two picks while I was on the podcast. Shows you our podcast was long. Two hours or four hours? Yeah. <laughs> it was a two. It was a one hour. So uh, I, I I need a little bit more. I I don't eight hours is too long. But Marte's not terrible though. I don't really mind it that He's much. He's an age that I'm nervous about him. It just went five minutes ago. I won't be picking Marte. Sorry. Musa Muhammad cost you Marte. It's just the way it goes. It did. It did. All right. All right. Hope you enjoyed our podcast. Have a good have a good one. You know, Baron just traded for Marte, by the way. In our Antenu. I don't even know what is I don't even really know exactly what Antenu is. It's like a dynasty thing, but it's basically a fantasy league. But they just play you play dynasty rule uh, dynasty Four. score. You play you play roto scoring in a dynasty league. And but and it, one of the things is you can like metric scoring, right? Uh, no, it's not. It's just it's our, ours is set up to be straight roto, and but one of the things that's weird is it's a dynasty, but you have ten. Every team has ten dollars to throw at the players of any other team, but you can't give. Um, one team can't be hit more than three times, and no player can be hit more than three dollars or something. I don't know, whatever the rule is. So so basically you could keep chiseling away at the fantasy value of of a really good draft pick by just ganging up and throwing money at at the at the player and making his um auction keeper auction value greater. My my only issue with keeper and dynasty, I, I play in a keeper league with a bunch of old friends in baseball. It's an awesome league. It dates back to I think nineteen ninety one. Can't say enough how much I love that league and the people in it. But if you don't have the right ownership, the right managers in a keeper league, then it becomes a race to pillage the people who have checked out, pillage the people who don't know what they're doing. And that frustrates the hell out of me when it's a race to the idiot. Exactly. 
Yeah. You need Keeper and Dynasty is great if you have the right people in it. And if you don't, it becomes well, I, like you know, and I'm in a sort of a quasi industry, twenty team, like forty man roster, pick up anybody. It doesn't matter if the guy's in sixth grade, you could pick him up. Like it's that's super fun. Um and and that league is extremely serious. And this one is gonna be good too, I could tell, because everybody's in it, even though there's no prize money. Um, and the score sheet league that I do is a quasi dynasty format too, and I like that because the scoring is different, and uh, that's also very serious. And uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very happy with the with the dynasty type of leagues that I'm in. They're all a little bit different. You know, I don't play a ton of NFBC, and by the way, of course, Yahoo Fantasy is open for business. I still think we have the most intuitive platform and the easiest I place agree. to play. But I will say one thing I like about NFBC. I think they, they came up with the right answer. Whereas people say, well, daily transactions is too much for me. I, I just don't want that investment. I, you know, the friends and family will be daily, but whatever. I get that a lot of people don't want to grind it daily. But then other people say, well, weekly stupid. I set a lineup, a guy gets hurt Monday. I'm stuck with him all week. That That's dumb. I think NFBC came up with two really, maybe it's even three things that they do with their weekly transactions are very smart. One, you everybody is an, an option for you until their game kicks off, until their game starts. So if somebody doesn't play till Tuesday and you need more intel on him, as long as you have a spot free for that guy, you can do it. Two, if you have somebody in your utility, but then you want to get somebody else in that utility spot and the utility player could fill a natural area somewhere else, you can shift them even afterwards, which why shouldn't you be able to do that? I think every platform should endorse that. Love that. Three, their take on weekly transactions is set your lineup Monday or Tuesday, as the case may be, when it's player start time dictates that for everybody individually. And then on Friday, you can change your lineup again. So if you want to play matchups or if you're, somebody got hurt, whatever, you can't change your pitchers. Your pitchers are static for the week. But you get that second period to adjust your offense. I think the difference between bi-weekly transactions and weekly is significant. It makes the game much more playable, and yet it's not overwhelming. You get into the cadence of just doing the Friday work. It's kind of it's fun anyway. So all along, I felt like daily transactions is probably a little bit too heavy. I think weekly doesn't give the right amount of playability. I think twice a week is perfect. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, that's the delicate balance with baseball. You don't want to make it so it's like somebody's uh, second job or even the right. first I job. Mean, Peter Shanky used to say he hated to see leagues won by either the guy who was online the most or the guy who spent the most time at it. Not not to hold it against people who care and put work in. That should matter. But you don't want to make it strictly like it's a law exam where you have to put in a ridiculous amount of time. It just should be. That's what's great about score sheet. There's only one transaction period per. There's a draft of of the available players once once a month. You have deep rosters, but you have to just work with who you have and and set your lineups until that one two round draft every month. We leave everybody with this. Said it before. It's, I think it's maybe a little, maybe a little bit more true in football, but certainly true in baseball too. I can't believe that I used to go into my important baseball drafts in the old days and, and football drafts cold, not even really sure how the market worked yet. There are things you can do. There are best ball leagues, there are draft and hold leagues, there are leagues where you don't have to make pickups but you make transactions. There are so many different things you can draft in right now that will make you better 
for the leagues that may come later that are really important to you. You have to get these reps in. What you know, it's like the practice. It's like you go into the bowling alley and throw in, throw in a few balls, or go into the driving range before you hit the the golf course. These are your practice reps, and they are so important. And the great thing with these drafts, these slow quote unquote slow drafts, one hour, two hour, four hour, is when you get to your pick. If you haven't been Musim Muhammad into auto draft, yeah. You get to your pick, you have some time to look around and research and, and make an informed decision, but it's not like you're spending all day on it. You, you spend 10, 15 minutes on it, five minutes, whatever stat it is. Cast, stat cast those expected stats, man. Yeah, that's fun. my advice. I love it, but that's you will draft so much better. Again, for football, if you're not doing best ball in football, you are. I think you're really missing an opportunity to, hone, to sharpen your skills. But in baseball, it's there too. I don't know if people realize that there are options in baseball at different price points. So if you want to have the best baseball season, you can. I'll tell you, this is really hard this year because I just don't know how to apply last season. Do you have Do you have like a quick takeaway of what you're doing with last year? Well, the expected stats are so um, um, exit velocity and strikeout based that they actually stabilize quicker. So it's a decent enough sample. I do sometimes look back a little bit on on the uh, prior year as well, but generally I'm still all in on drafting the expected stats because I don't really need to. Um, I'm I'm almost there. I'm not quite there with the hitting, but I'm close enough where I think it's it's more meaningful than maybe the market does. I'm not drafting some slug and expecting expected slugging and saying uh, in batting average and saying like oh well it was only 60 games like that that guy is dead to me. Well, it's key. You mentioned this the stability rate coming quickly. That's and again, we'll I'm sure we'll say this in fantasy baseball all year for all the bells and whistles for all the age of enlightenment we're in. It's remarkable how much walks and strikeouts will give you so much of the answer on on everybody. True. Yeah, both sides hitting both and pitching. Hitting so, um, all right. So that's that's a preview of what you'll get with our upcoming fantasy baseball podcast. So, um, on behalf of Scott, thanks a lot for joining us. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this would be the shortest podcast of the year. We almost went two hours. And uh, you know, the big thing is obviously stay healthy, but enjoy the game, man. Treat yourself to like whatever you want to eat. Like, you know, you can't be at a Super Bowl party this year, but there's still ways that you can, uh, you know, have a really good time watching the game and join us like uh, Scott on Twitter. I might tweet occasionally, um, but I'll be at 538. So it's it's kind of like a party when you're when you're on social media with the right people. It's always felt like a national holiday, right? I mean, yeah. You know what I think is silly? People say, oh, the, the Monday after the Super Bowl should be the national. No, no, it shouldn't. The Sunday itself is a national holiday. That's true. That's true. I don't, I don't know why anybody needs to have work. I'm like, I'm all for holidays and stuff. I don't see why the day after. I, I used to think they used to have, they don't do this anymore, I don't think, but baseball's opening day used to coincide with the NCAA basketball final. I always thought that was like a day nobody should go to work. But. Anyway, the Super Bowl, yeah, Super Bowl's an American. It's American celebrate. It's, it, in fact, you can say the Super Bowl is about as American as anything, right? Yeah, so. for sure. So enjoy it, and we'll be back with, uh, you know, in a week or two. We might take a week off, but we'll be back soon with baseball. We will be reporting to, you know, pitchers and catchers. We'll be reporting, and to. you got plenty here to hold you over. All right, have a good day, go. man. Enjoy the game. See you. Good luck.